Hey guys, welcome to Product Explained, a show where we talk about products and the company's history and strategy behind them. I'm your first host, Jeff Lee. And I'm your co-host, Mike Alcazarin. Hey Jeff, how good were you at no-look one-handed texting on your flip phone back in middle school slash high school? Ah, the good old days of texting in class while people weren't looking. Today's show, we're talking about T9 texting, which for some of you is probably archaic, but it was a predictive text technology which paved the way for the SMS revolution. I think this is going to be a fun one to, to talk about, um, especially explaining it and what T9 texting was. And you know, as Jeff mentioned, T9 texting, it's not a company like we have been uh, reviewing and talking about in the past, but it's just a product feature. It was a predictive technology that was built for mobile phones that had a physical number pad. I know that may blow some people's minds <laughs> if you remember the day that there was no keyboard on your screen and you didn't even have a screen in some cases, you just had a physical number pad. So a quick primer on how T9 texting work for folks that have never used this or, or seen this, or if you just need a refresher back to your 2005 <laughs> days. Um, the Razor flip phones. Exactly. So we can use the Razor flip phone as the uh, as the example. So imagine that flip phone. So maybe even to, to, to break that down even more is imagine your smartphone had two pieces and it folded. And the way to open up your keyboard, you had to literally open up your phone. Oh, God. Bold is new. They're open. doing that again, right? Like there's their new folding phones that are now have two screens that open up. So people are going to get even more confused. I love that. Now it's going to be like <laughs> vinyl records. You know, it's like my... My phone has more more mechanical parts, but who knows? But yeah, so so picture that standard mobile phone number pad. So if you can imagine individual numbers, one through nine, a pound sign on the bottom left, a zero key on the very bottom, and then a space key on the right. How T9 texting worked is that numbers two through nine had three to four letters assigned to each key. So if you look at the number pad um, of two, for example, that would be A, B, and C. The number three would be D, E, F, and so on and so forth. So typically how you texted before uh, you enable T9 is you had to click through the number two multiple times. So let's say I wanted to get to the C. I would have to quickly hit the two key three times. So tap it three times, and then now I'm at C. And then if I wanted to type A, I would pause and wait for that to end, and then type two again to get C and then to get A. So how T9 was able to revolutionize that was by doing predictive text based off the number combinations. So an example would be, let's say I wanted to type hello to Jeff. I open up my mobile phone. I look for Jeff's name in my SMS text box, go to him, type in hello by typing in the numbers four, three, five, five, and six. And so what T9 would do is T9 would recognize that that combination of numbers actually translates to the most likely output for that word is hello. And you could change that number by toggling through a different key. So to our early example, when we started the show is that you could, if you were really good at this, you could theoretically text with one hand because you knew all the different combinations of letters once you memorized where each of the the words were. So if you knew where D was, you could just type three and you just knew that was there. So really interesting from a user experience perspective and also just building software into the, the a limited set of hardware. You know, you only had the nine numbers plus the, the three extra digits. So I thought it was really interesting product. Yeah. And I just want to give listeners insight into like Mike and I went to high school around the same time and T9 texting had just kind of come to the mainstream use around the time that we were in high school, I think. Before T9, Mike was describing what was called multi-tap. 
And that was, you know, super hard to use and really tedious. And eventually you could, with just nine keys, be able to type out whole phrases and sentences. And the more you use it, the better it got. And basically was in some ways kind of early machine learning, right? Like it learned off of you as a texter. If you selected different words more frequently than others, then those words would come up more often for you. And it would kind of learn off of your behavior. So I remember typing out whole sentences and then looking really quickly and reading through it just to make sure no words got swapped around. And that was just something that was really revolutionary at the time. I even remember the first swap to a smartphone keyboard. I was probably one of the first adopters of the Apple iPhone. And I got one in high school, senior year, which is kind of like a you know graduation. So fancy. Year. I know. Look it was pretty that. crazy. Um, I remember thinking, man, this QWERTY keyboard for my two fingers and the small uh, screen is actually pretty terrible. And I kind of wish that I had T9 texting. Yeah, it sucked. It was not good, those yeah. first smartphones. And then you kind of get used to it. But in all honesty, I some ways in some ways I felt like I was a lot faster using T9 texting uh, because there's only nine keys to remember instead of the whole alphabet plus symbols, right? So you're more accurate, but you know predictive texting has gotten a lot better over the years. I think it, an interesting you know analog to the switch from T9 to the first smartphone keyboards that didn't have any smarts to it, like it didn't predict words or autocorrect your, your words. Mm-hmm. It was literally just button smashing on a tiny screen with your thumbs. I don't know the exact name of it, but we can put this in the show notes. But the keyboards that is used for stenography, so for someone that's recording a oh, yeah. um, uh, a court case, it's actually not a QWERTY keyboard. So this QWERTY keyboard, for those of that don't know, is just like your standard um, keyboard that you would get on your laptop or is what we think of as a keyboard. Mm-hmm. But how the stenographer's keyboard works is I've seen like a, a really cool uh, post on this once, whereas it's, it's just... I believe it's like phrases of words. So you actually just like type the sound of the word and then you're actually able to type faster because there's fewer keys. So I think T9 was the same way in the beginning is because you're constrained from the number of keys that you can press. uh, You're just ultimately faster because you have some way to autocorrect that and prioritize words. Yeah, I encourage people listening at home to actually watch a video of a stenographer taking notes on those keyboards. I think if I remember correctly, you can press combinations of keys at one time to write a word. So it's like pressing keys one, three, and four will say the word hello. Or if you press them twice, it'll do something else. So it's pretty nutty how it works out. And I remember watching a video about this lady trying to explain how it worked and it all went over my head. It was really hard for me to explain (laughs) it. But in courtrooms, they're trying to get transcribed text almost instantaneously. Sometimes they ask you to read back the notes in a really short manner of time and you can't do that with a QWERTY keyboard fast enough. So yeah, it's definitely a learned skill. Challenge accepted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Cool. I want to talk about, jump into the history of the product, because this is a pretty historical product, I'd say, compared to some of the other products that we've covered on the show. The very first text that was ever sent, we just call them SMS, was sent on December 3rd of 1992. So a lot earlier than I had actually anticipated. And all that text said was Merry Christmas. And it was sent by a guy named Neil Papworth, who was a UK-based software engineer. It's pretty crazy now, right, to think of how many texts have been sent since then and how rapidly it's grown um, from that one simple Merry Christmas text. And I want to even know um, how many Merry Christmas texts have been sent just year over year or like in (laughs) one particular month. So totally, it's pretty crazy. One year later, Nokia released the first SMS-enabled phone that even had the distinctive beep to signal that you had an incoming message, which I think was honestly borrowed from the beeper culture. 
Um, For sure. But, you know, Nokia released its first text message enabled phone in 93. And I'm sure that phone is still holding up a building somewhere. Those things were built like tanks. Exactly. You could chuck them out of planes and they'd be totally fine. I don't remember using text messaging until like, you know, a lot of the kids didn't have cell phones until like middle school, if that, and if they were lucky. And I don't remember even using text messaging at that time. You just didn't really text any friends in class because there weren't any screens like maybe there was just a dial screen yeah it was, it was just like two or three lines of screen of just like those really i don't know what you call it but like the the, the leds that were just it was just bad like you wouldn't want to have a conversation at it's the, just uh, a type of number right that's it that's really exactly all you're, all you're exactly for. and um man it must be crazy for people that are listening to our show that have no idea what we're talking about yeah old phones didn't have any visuals like you just typed in a number <laughs> and you hope that you got the number right and there's no you know visual confirmation they were literally for talking to people <laughs> yeah what a novel concept and now sms time probably trumps call time overall is my guess but overall texting came out really really early in 1993 i think it didn't going to the mainstream until a few years later when cell phones became more prevalent. Originally, texts only had a 160 character limit, uh, whereas now people type wall of text. I think there's probably a whole subreddit about walls of text now. <laughs> and, and so early adopters, this is kind of a cool thing, they, because of their character limits, they started to use acronyms like LOL to save on their text character limits because back then you had a text limit per month. So if I remember correctly, you might get like 100 texts per month and you had to pay for them or sometimes you'd even pay like 20 cents a text. And so people were trying to save money by not texting really long text messages. And now obviously text is, you know, ubiquitous with cell phone plans and they're unlimited. But back in the day, you had to really watch how many texts that you were putting out and, you know, things like LOL or TTYL or using emoticons were ways to save on some of the text messages that you were saving. I'll never forget growing up. I think it was when my sister first got a cell phone and I was in high school at the time. She's three years younger than I was. And she had just got a phone that was like easier to text on. Mm -hmm. And we had to pay like 15 cents per text. And she sent thousands of texts. Oh no! <laughs> and so it was like a couple hundred dollar bill, and we were just like, "How can this be?" Like she was just typing. Yeah. And so I think that was when like we had the talking to from our parents about like like how much to text, and then I think we or maybe we upgraded to like a Verizon plan that was a certain limit of like you could send a hundred texts, and then after that you got paid more. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was a I don't even know how to describe it now because it was it was so valuable to send a text, you know, like you had to ration them. It wasn't just like a wall of text that you could communicate every single detail. Like you had to really think through the message of like, imagine like you're trying to meet up with a friend and say, Hey, you wouldn't even say, Hey, you'd say movie eight o'clock question mark, you know, and like get very specific on details and just get right to the point. So super concise. I think the text at that time were thought to set up the call, right? Or yes, like, or get on AIM <laughs> and like <laughs> we can talk there. But yeah, it was just really interesting at the time. And I remember the text plans going from, you know, 50 to 100 to 500 per family plan to 1000 to unlimited. It became, you know, like everyone wanted to send text messages. And I remember my parents, you know, early on, they didn't really want to use text messages. So they were just buying those plans and packages for my sister and I. And we were obviously using up all the text messages. And now, obviously, my parents are, you know, using text messages as well. So I can't imagine having any text limits or doing any pay-as-you-go text plan. Um, I'm know. mad just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's crazy. Like, it, it's, yeah, I, it's it's insane to think about where we were and how we 
how we're okay with not using as many texts as we are today. A quick anecdote on that is there's a really good, for any like product marketers or product managers out there, is a really good market research test that you can do called the withdrawal test, where you'll give someone a feature and then you'll take it away and then gauge their response on, on how badly they miss it. I mean, it's an interesting way to, to see how sticky your product will be or how, how often customers will want to keep using the product. So I think that I'm thinking through like my reaction of like getting angry is like, that definitely passes the withdrawal yeah. test for me. It's like, I, I couldn't, don't take it away. <laughs> I think I remember asking myself or somebody asking, why would you text when you can just call? And, you know, at the time you don't think about the reasons why, because it doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, calling seems to be technologically more advanced and writing, you know, we already went away from passing notes. Why are we? But part of it was the anonymity, I think. Texting is silent. Nobody has to know you're texting. Um, you can text in class. You know, you don't have to read your texts out loud. It's kind of awkward to call now. And I think a lot of millennials now prefer reading texts because it's a more it's a privacy issue than like taking or receiving or sending calls. When I get a call now, I feel like somebody's in the hospital or it has this to be an emergency. Yeah, totally. To to get a phone call. So it is kind of strange to you know now kind of move back and reutilize text in a manner that we didn't see before. I think too, it's maybe it has to do with multitasking you know is like mm -hmm. you're able to have you can have simultaneous threads with theoretically as many people as you'd like to yeah. let's call it like five people all at the same time right um rather than like hopping on a phone and like distributing information that way so it, it's interesting yeah I, I agree with that where it's a d different medium a phone call it has that higher bar of like you were either catching up after not talking for a long time or it's something's wrong or it's a spam call. Yeah. Most likely, more often than not now, it's a spam call. Yeah, yeah. I mean, totally aside from asynchronous conversation or messaging like Slack, where text allows you to work in asynchronously, which the benefits are pretty immense and pretty well documented now, where you don't have to be in the same place at the same time and can work on your own accord. So that's another reason why text has become kind of pretty prevalent and popular. In 1995, the average American sent an average of 0.4 texts per month. So roughly about one text every two months, which is pretty crazy. I wonder if it's because there weren't any screens, probably mostly because there weren't that many users with text-enabled phones. But then in 1999, there was a big breakthrough and multiple networks were then allowed to send text across from the network. So if you were an AT&T, you can send AT&T text to someone who was with Verizon. In fact, I don't know if AT&T had texting at this time. I remember I was on Singular and Singular got acquired by AT&T. So Maybe they're on somebody else, but that was a big deal because now you can talk to um, people across different networks and not just texting, but even phone calls. If you remember phone calls at the time, you got more phone call minutes within your network mm -hmm. and you had to pay extra or have some package or some limited package to talk across networks. And now it's just, you can call whoever, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. It's just bringing back so many different memories yeah. of like <laughs> of cell phone plans. Right. I remember uh, we had a Verizon plan where one of the benefits was you had unlimited phone calls after nine o'clock. And mm -hmm. I'm sure it's just a network network capacity thing, whereas like their networks are getting hammered by right. like business users from nine to nine. But it was just a huge benefit. And I remember like my, my dad saying, you can't talk to your friends right now. Like wait till nine o'clock. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like that's when it's free. Yeah. And all, all that stuff. But Do you remember, I think it was T-Mobile had top five. Oh, and, that's right. And yep. you can have unlimited texts and calls with your top five. So you had to just designate a top five. I don't remember if it was in or out of network, but I also remember asking people when they were getting new phones, like my best friends or whatever, who's your <laughs> uh, cell phone plan on so I can get like free calls and texts with that person. And 
We can also talk about like rollover plans and all those different things, which are really, it, all of this stuff is really dating us right now, Mike, I think. But I think um, so too. But, you know, hopefully most of the listeners that are listening know what we're talking about. I think there's a ton of lessons learned though from like all, like the business model of like what cell phones went through. They were like one of the first, like maybe not the first, but it's just like a subscription service that adapted to the technology over the years. It's just like mm-hmm. all the things that we're talking about is just finding new ways to monetize the product and just keep going forward. I think like today's latest analogy is data limits and data caps. Like granted, that was still maybe a couple of years, years ago. I think now it's like with 5G, like as they roll out new features, they data cap, you know, 5G, like data to, to five gigabytes per you know month or whatever it yeah, is. And then down, they uh, throttle you into something else or Exactly. And, and I think 10 years from now, like we'll laugh at this and say, ha, 5G, like that's ridiculous. And now it's unlimited. Like yeah. you just expect it. So I think it's it's an interesting study of business models and subscription and seeing how all the telecoms monetized all these features as they came out. I think what's really interesting about the cell phone, it, it, it has become the quintessential tech hub uh, of hardware for other technologies, right? I think there are more people with smartphones and computers and most of the hardcore computer processing has been moved onto mobile cell phones. I mean, it's affordable. More people in developing countries can use them. So there's a lot more smartphone usage than anything else. And with that, you've seen a growth in all the different features and platforms that have started to tack on to phone usage. So I remember earlier on when phones were, I'm sure we'll have to have a whole episode about this, but I remember when iPhone first came out and I thought, why are they combining a phone and an MP3 player? Like it seemed How dare they? weird at the yeah. time. <laughs> and now it's just expected. Your phone is just a secondary part of you because it can do so, so much outside of just making phone calls and texts. But going back to T9, in the early 2000s, when cell phones became readily available, text messaging shot up to 35 texts a month. Now we're getting somewhere. And then, Slow um, down, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, and you know, in the nineties was when Cliff Kushler actually invented T9 where predictive text technology would propose words. And since then, this is something interesting that I didn't realize uh, until I did research for the show, but Kushler actually went on to invent swipe, which I think, Oh, that's so cool. Is used for, yeah, most of, it was earlier on Android and eventually you can bring it onto iOS before finally iOS had a native swipe type technology, but swipe is basically very similar to T9, except it's meant for QWERTY keyboards and you can put your finger down and swipe around the keyboard instead of pick up your finger and put it down and type. Uh, and then you're able to you know, type a lot faster using swipe, which made for a much better user experience and help with accessibility. Yeah, that, that's super interesting. I did not know that he also invented swipe, but very similar concept, you know, like mm-hmm. there was nine keys and you just optimize like the combination right. of you know, letters like my example for hello, like four, three, five, five, six. And for swipe, it's it's pretty much the exact same idea. You know, it's like my fingers are going to hit all these keys. So let's just swipe all those keys and it spits out the word. Yeah, there's problems with swipe and T9 as well. I mean, obviously there are some, I forgot what the term is, but you can type one number and get multiple words that technically can result from the same number. So you still have to sometimes pick the end word that you're looking for, or it'll change it based on the context. And Swipe has actually done a pretty good job with that. And so has productive yeah. text overall. I, I think the hardest part for me when I was as a, as a former T9 user back in the day was typing proper nouns or typing new words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always thought that was super hard. Actually, it was super hard. Like if I wanted to type, like my last name, for example, like Alcazarin 
would be a monster to type on T9 yeah, because yeah. the combinations would start to show different words and it's hard to see if you're actually typing the right word mm-hmm. because it's already predicting that it's a different word. So you had to be super methodical of changing all the letters. Yeah. Um, so that was like one of the pitfalls of, of T9. But yeah, so we can talk about who T9 was for. I think we definitely laid a, a really good picture or painted a really good picture of what the time between 1995 and 2005 was. But if we just take a snapshot of 2005, looking at T9, you know, T9 was really for power users of, of texting. And my gut tells me that it was definitely much younger. It was probably millennials and maybe mm-hmm. anyone that was between, you know, 15 and 25, maybe 30 that that had a cell phone. That the just older needed... generation were using Blackberries, right? So that's right. Yeah. That's another interesting dynamic. Business generation. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, yeah, so I would imagine that T9 just had a power hold on folks like folks like you and I. Yeah. And to give an idea of like how big this was in 2005, and as Jeff mentioned, 2005 was two years before the iPhone. The first iPhone was announced in 2007 or released in 2007, but there was just under 208 million United States phone users, mobile phone users in 2005, which is about 69% of the, the U.S. population. So if you imagine that, you know, a quarter of that are folks that are in that range that I was mentioning for. It's a sizable, sizable part of the population that was using this, you know, 50 million people using T9 during that time. So super interesting how, you know, this guy, Cliff Kushler invented this technology that was so widely adopted. And I don't even think I, I thought about it until this episode really deeply of what the impacts are and how much time that saved all of those users. It's wild. Yeah. I think that's what's really interesting about T9 is that T9 itself I won't call it a flash in the pan. It was really popular for a few years, but that's because cell phones were, they expanded pretty quickly. They obviously they started in the nineties and, but you know, the mainstream use kind of came in the two thousands. And then for a couple of years, it was multi-tap. Then it went into T9 and then boom, there was smartphones and then everyone went off to the races and T9 no longer became relevant. But I think it's really important to think about T9 because it did lay the foundation for other technologies like swipe and you know, predictive text and autocorrect and things like that. So that's where T9 is really incredible. It's not so much T9 itself, but what it really paved the way for. Speaking of which, some of the competitors, I would call them competitors of T9, though T9 now (laughs) is probably not that widely used, but are just most of the keyboards that you've heard of today. Swipe, there's another one called SwiftKey. OS native keyboards now mostly have predictive technology. And even looking horrendous, forward, horrendous <laughs> predictive technology. <laughs> yeah, it, it could be pretty bad, um, but it does learn. You know, I think if you're a fresh uh, phone user, then which it's not very common now. But yeah, it does I did take not mean time. to type duck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it's telling me to use this word over and over and over. Um, and then lastly, looking forward into the future, voice enabled text. I think it is really weird to think about voice enabled text because one of the main drawbacks of voice enabled is again privacy. Right? You don't want to tell the whole world that you are texting your wife that you're going to be home at 6 p.m. and you know, you're know you going to pick up dinner on the way home. The whole world doesn't need to know. So will voice-enabled text get picked up and how prevalent will that be? I'm looking at you, Siri users. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting. And to your point earlier about BlackBerry, I never even thought about that. If we're looking at the snapshot of 2005 to 2007, like yeah, like BlackBerry users was definitely like the major competitor. They dominated the market. Yeah. For sure. Because I even remember like early undergrad, like 2007, 2008, some of like the, I'll call it like the most popular people had to have BlackBerry because <laughs> it was unlimited messaging on the BlackBerry network. Oh, I didn't know that. And you could that. type yeah. super fast yeah. as well. It was kind of like the iMessage kind, yeah, of, yeah. kind of deal. Um, and same thing with the BlackBerry. Yeah, the blue. Yeah, the BlackBerry network. And also just like you're 
BlackBerry had a really nice interface. You could type much faster if you were if you were really good at it. But anyhow, yeah, it, it's interesting how it's 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 evolved into Swipe and into SwiftKey. I know me as a, me personally as a an Android user. I know you're not an Android user, Jeff. Um, I'm a huge fan of SwiftKey. I have been for I think for like six years now, mm-hmm. seven years now, and I, I love that SwiftKey sends me stats every month of like how many keystrokes that I've saved oh, and how cool. it's been able to pr- predict like where I'm going to type. I think that's the most interesting thing about SwiftKey is that it essentially customizes the size of my keyboard based off of my thumbs like and, and where oh, I'm typing. Oh, that's really cool. The keyboard visually doesn't change, but it knows from a software perspective that if I'm typing an S, let's call it like four millimeters to the right, I actually probably mean a D and it's able to just expand that size of that key for me because it's just a more common key and it's constantly learning for me so i definitely love that ability to just get smarter for me yeah yeah interesting so like the basically the active zone of every key is changed dependent on what you're typing or the context and stuff like that that's pretty cool i know that swipe and or swift key started to do an ios app and i downloaded it and installed that keyboard and i was using that for a few years but i think recently i would say maybe in the past two or three years maybe ios came up with their own native Apple keyboard that allowed you to swipe to text. And that's kind of been a main difference. Something else to think about as well is other predictive texts outside of just the texting, mobile texting applications are things like Gmail now has some predictive text. When you're typing out responses to emails, it will predict what you're wanting to say. And you can just press tab to fill out some responses. There are auto responses now in a lot of chat support services. Um, <laughs> like like LinkedIn's my favorite where you can actually just, no, it's actually really interested. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I tried it out with one of my friends of just like sending auto messages. Yeah, it's just yeah, exactly sending only auto predictive mm-hmm. messaging back and forth to each other. It, it, it's funny because eventually you hit a circle where you're just like repeating the conversation and then you just get into this feedback loop of like the same conversation. Right. You're just, it's following the same same yeah. pattern and so yeah. on and so forth. But yeah, I think that this T9 is really that first predictive texting interface, at least the first one that I know of. And it's definitely exploded. So yeah, let's talk about our thoughts, Mike. What do you think about T9? Feel free to evaluate it as it was in its heyday, or we can talk about it in today's day and age. But, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the product as a whole. 2005 Mike was very bullish on T9. I would definitely call it like in the four star range, we'll call it a 4.0 out of five. Loved the product and how much time it was able to save me. I think some of the things that I got frustrated with and I almost lost all the time that I saved was when I had to type new words in and that just ate up all the savings Mm of me being able to type the word. But for one-headed texting and for quick responses, like in class, like I remember if there was something urgent that came up or urgent in my eyes, (laughs) it was just a friend (laughs) responding. I could like open up my phone in my pocket and like feel out the number pad and like type a message back to someone really quickly, which I'm sure looking back, I wasn't being stealthy at all. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure it just looked like a weirdo and like sitting in the back of the classroom with his hand in his pocket trying to type. I'm sure the teachers knew what was was going on. But yeah, like the customer experience I thought was great. The foundation that it built for other predictive technologies that we touched on today, I think is uh, extremely powerful and a really, really fun product feature to dive into. Yeah, I'll agree with most of your sentiments there. I think that I will probably rate it in the high threes. I'll give it a 3.8. It definitely was born out of a necessity, right? Traditional multi-tap texting took way too long. T9 texting made it you know, pretty easy for people to pick up. I do think that there was maybe a small initial learning curve, but it almost felt like you were learning a different language. <laughs> and I remember 
like getting people on the T9 bandwagon or maybe people convincing me to move on to the T9 bandwagon and to use T9 texting instead. And if you didn't use T9 texting, you kind of were seen as like a simpleton, like, oh, you don't know how to use T9 <laughs> texting. Like, what are you doing with your life? It's going to save you so much time. So, you know, I will say that it probably wasn't super intuitive for everybody to pick up, but once you did, it was hyper efficient. So it was kind of like a power user tool for people at the time. Obviously, it didn't necessarily aim to make any money per se on its own accord. It was kind of ubiquitous with all texting enabled phones at the time. You could either do multi-tap or T9. And once people learned to use T9, they would prefer it. And the experience was really good. I mean, predictive texting was pretty insane to have at that early of a stage in you know mobile phones that had SMS enabled text messages. So it was pretty incredible to have that. And Unfortunately, T9 texting only lived for some years, but it provided a foundation and it paved the way for a lot of these predictive text type products to start coming into the heyday and it shifted people's expectations of what they should expect out of predictive text. So overall, I think it was a really, really good product for its time. I think it met a lot of people's needs. I do think it was maybe a small learning curve for some people, but overall, really, really good product. Yeah, maybe maybe it'll come back just like vinyl records yeah, or something yeah. like that. I you know um, people started to buy like hardware, not phone cases, but they're starting to get like rotary phone attachments or accessories for their mobile phones. <laughs> so yeah, old is new for sure. Well, those are our thoughts on T9 texting. You know, we'd love to hear from our audience on our throwback here. So feel free to share with us what you think on our Instagram and Twitter accounts. You can find us at ProdX Podcast. That's P-R-O-D-E-X podcast. Yeah, and if you like the show, be sure to like us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And let us know what products we should review next. See you next episode.